0: Take your Bibles and go to Matthew chapter 28 this morning, Matthew 28. This morning, we have the great privilege to baptize a young person from among our church family. Elena Johnson has come to us and asked to be baptized as she and her parents worked through the process. The Lord continued to confirm and grow her desire to follow Christ in this way. They then met with me and one of the deacons to continue to prepare for this day. We've discussed and rehearsed her testimony that you will get to hear a little later on. Trust that Christ will be honored as we celebrate this picture of his work in her life and in ours. Elena's parents are Steve and Fonda Johnson. They've been attending here for quite a number of years now. Elena is 20 years old. And in God's perfect plan, she deals with some intellectual disabilities, but that doesn't stop her. She's in her senior year of high school at Hidden Treasure Christian School. I'm grateful for you, Elena, and for your parents. I'm grateful for the evidences of God's supernatural work in your life, and I've been encouraged and even challenged as we've worked through this process, as we've looked and studied what the gospel is for her. Now, this morning, as we look at this passage, we'll look at several different passages of Scripture, but we'll begin in Matthew chapter 28 in just a few moments. Let's ask for God's grace as we look at his word together and this topic. Father in heaven, we thank you for the picture you've given us. Help us to worship you well through it. Lord, this is to be a dramatic representation of the gospel. What you have done within us is being displayed here before us. So help us to see your grace in Jesus' name. Amen. God has called his people to make disciples by going to all nations, baptizing them once they've believed, and teaching them to obey then their Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Baptism is the first step of following him. It's the initiating step. So what is baptism? Just a brief definition. Baptism is a believer's act. A believer's act of publicly committing to Christ and his people by being immersed in water. It's a believer's act. This is a practice that is reserved for those who have turned from their sin and placed all of their trust for eternal salvation in Christ alone. Salvation requires that we repent. Jesus' first recorded words in the Gospels are these. The time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe in the Gospel. To repent means to turn to Christ from your sins. It means you must recognize and submit to the fact that God is the authority. He's to be the authority in your life. It means you must relinquish control of your life. You're called to follow His commands. You're called to obey the gospel and believe in Him. To repent means that you acknowledge that you have been living to please yourself. And now you're making a 180 degree turn towards Him. It means putting all of your trust in Jesus alone. This is a requirement for both unbeliever and believer alike. Christians are repenting people. Those who don't know Christ need to repent and turn to Him again. So have you personally turned from your sins? Have you placed your complete confidence in Christ alone for salvation from His righteous judgment? Look at three points this morning as to why someone should be baptized. We're asking the question, why be baptized? Our first answer is to publicly obey Christ's commands, to publicly obey his commands. Let's read now Matthew 28 verse 18. We'll read down through verse 20. This is a familiar passage, but let's read carefully. And Jesus came and said to them, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. So because he is the authority, because he is the king of the ages over all things, he has a mission. Verse 19, Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them into the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe or obey all that I have commanded you, and behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. Now, in the context of this passage, Jesus stands with his disciples having accomplished all that is necessary for salvation through the means of his death, his atoning work on the cross, his burial, and his victorious resurrection. He's leaving his disciples now these final instructions, and this is their mission, but it's also ours, to proclaim the good news of this salvation to every man woman, and child on all the earth. And he says, go make disciples, baptizing them. Baptism is part of what obeying Christ's call to make disciples includes. It's part of what it means to follow him. In Mark eight thirty four and 35, we read, and calling to the, the crowd to him with his disciples, Jesus said to them, if anyone would come after me, this is salvation language, if anyone would be mine, If anyone would have eternal life, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. Come after me. For whoever would save his life by their own efforts will lose it. But whoever loses his life, he gives it up for me. will save it. If you are to have eternal life, you must follow Christ. You can't separate the two. Christ is your Savior, but He is to be your King as well. To be saved is to be a follower. If you have never done so in your life, I invite you this morning to put your faith in Christ. Even right there in your seat. You don't have to wait. If you have questions or you'd like to discuss this with someone, please, again, see me after the morning service. Or talk to one of those members in our church family who are nearby you, they'd love to explain this to you. As a believer, the gospel again reminds us that we are not our own. We're bought with a price, with the precious blood of Jesus Christ, and therefore, there are requirements to follow and obey, to glorify God in our bodies. So the questions for you this morning are, are you following Christ? Are you recognizing his kingship over you? Have you placed all of your trust in Christ for salvation? If you have, then the next question is, have you followed him in believer's baptism? If not, this is the very next step, the first step in following him. It's baptism. That's what Jesus himself has said right here in this text. From this text, you can rightly conclude that he wants you to get baptized. Peter's words in his sermon in Acts 2 are, repent and be baptized. Identify yourself with this Savior, King, Messiah. God marks his people out by baptism. It's his gift to them. After repenting and believing, the first formal public act of following him means that you will pursue this sign. By following this command, we're professing that we're committed to do as he says. We're demonstrating we will obey him. Yes, he is my king. To be unwilling means that in some part of your life, you're professing that he's not Lord. He can't have that part. Perhaps you're just wrestling with it. Can I encourage you that part of what we're seeing in this text is that God's calling you to obey. Obey. Why get baptized first in order to obey your Lord, who in his amazing love stooped to rescue you from your sins and the penalty of eternal punishment? If you know that you're a believer, then what is stopping you from obeying such a gracious Savior and gracious Master? Put aside your excuses. Obey. Ask for help to work through this. Ask for his grace to overcome your fears Baptism is a gift that he graciously offers to us for our benefit and blessing. Secondly, why be baptized? To publicly profess faith in Christ. Baptism is a public sign in and of itself in this act that we'll see demonstrated in just a few moments. It's a visible, tangible, observable, public, dramatic expression of faith in Christ. It is obvious and memorable and even dateable. You get soaked and everyone present sees you disappear under that water and then reappear up out of the water. Declaring your faith in Christ through baptism is intended by God to strengthen your faith, to deepen it. I mean, just think about the sign. It is a little strange, isn't it? To go up there and get all wet. Why would God design something like this? Does he need to know what's happening within your heart because he doesn't already know? Why give us this sign to feed our faith, to help us see and feel and touch what's happened within us, to see it represented in the symbol? Professing your faith will feed it. Confessing it will confirm it. Sharing your faith in this public way will strengthen it. It demonstrates that you're willing to go public with your belief that Jesus is Lord. What we see played out in the birth of the church as recorded in Acts is that as people were converted to Christ, they willingly obeyed the apostles' command to be baptized once they had been saved. What we conclude is all those who embraced the gospel were baptized and only those who embraced the gospel were baptized. This is how new followers of Christ proclaimed their embrace of the crucified Lord. In Acts, what we see are believers who are willing to demonstrate, publicly profess their faith and show that it was personal, that it was genuine, that it was credible. Just think of it in that circumstance. They are willing immediately to suffer for Christ. Their public baptism was a social risk. In some ways, it was an invitation for greater persecution, But that obedience was called for. Think of someone like the Philippian jailer. He worked for Rome. His job was immediately in jeopardy, potentially even his life. His faith, even in being willing to take risk like that for the gospel, demonstrated that it was visible, it was observable, it was credible. That's what we're looking for as we present to you, a church family, candidates for baptism. Jesus warns us that true believers cannot keep their faith a secret. If someone is truly saved, they won't want to do that. Our faith is certainly personal, but God never intended it to be private. Listen to what Jesus says in Matthew 10, 32 through 33. He says, so everyone who acknowledges me before before men, I also will acknowledge before my Father who is in heaven. But whoever denies me before men, I will also deny before my Father who is in heaven. Why get baptized? The second reason is in order to publicly profess that you have placed your faith in Jesus Christ alone for salvation. To do this publicly. It will help you. Number three, why be baptized? To publicly commit to Christ's people. Turn over to Acts chapter 2. We'll look at verses 41 and following in just a moment. Baptism is not only a sign to an individual believer, it's meant to be a sign for us. Baptism is the act of a believer, but it's also the act of a church family. Our job as a family is to help them understand what they're professing, is to say, yes, we see evidences of supernatural life in you. How can a family do that? How can other believers do that if they don't know you? If they haven't been helping you work through the process? We want to be intentional in helping those in our body interested in baptism to be clear that they're following Christ and intend to do so with their entire life. We're saying God gave us this sign. It's an act for the whole church to see and be encouraged by. Three consciences should be satisfied as to the credibility of a person's faith, a profession of faith, as a person comes to this day. Three consciences, the one that is being baptized, should be clear in their own heart and mind that they're a believer. They should initiate and pursue this and want to identify with Christ. Secondly, the conscience of the one leading the baptism should be clear that this is, to the best of their knowledge as a human, a believer, And number three, the conscience of the congregation. Remember, for a congregation, our job is to say who's in and who's out, to recognize evidences of faith. So we need to be clear that the person that is being baptized is a believer. So we hear testimony of that supernatural work of God in their lives. This isn't a private event intended solely as a blessing to the one seeking to be baptized. This is a church family celebration one of my greatest joys as a pastor over the last several years is leading us to slow down and celebrate and focus and recognize the gift that our god intends this ordinance of baptism to be as we move through the process intentionally i've been delighted to see our members grow as they think through what is baptism really picturing how is the gospel being reaffirmed? How do I help this person who's come and wants to be baptized? I've seen parents deepen their own faith in Christ as they discuss baptism with their older children and the church family delight in the clear demonstration of God's supernatural work among us. Some of us, some of our favorite times rather of corporate worship are these baptism services. It's a visible demonstration of a supernatural work miracle our desire and prayer should be that baptisms are clear are biblically meaningful and they're memorable for all of us as a church family it's an opportunity for us to worship rejoice delight in the glories of this gospel let's see how that plays out in the first church beginning in verse 41 i'll read verse 41 and 42 and then skip down to verse 47 Acts 2.41 says, So those who received His word, they accepted it, they believed it, they put their faith in Christ, were baptized. And there were added that day, added to that church, about 3,000 souls. And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. There they're obeying Matthew 28, and the fellowship to the breaking of bread and the prayers. And the Lord added to their number, day by day, those who, who are being saved. So consider the order of events that we read here in Acts 2. Those who received his word were baptized and then were added. All through Acts, we see this pattern repeated. One cannot be identified with Jesus without being identified with his people. In baptism, you enlist in Christ's company. Your commitment to his people follows then logically, necessarily, and immediately from your commitment to Christ. What we're saying in baptism is his family is now my family. We're not only united to Christ, we're united to His body. 1 Corinthians 12, 13 says, For in one spirit we were all, church family, notice he's writing a letter to the Corinthian church, we were all baptized into one body. Ephesians 4, 4 and 5, again to a single local body. There is one body and one spirit, one Lord, one faith, one baptism. And again, in Galatians 3, 26 through 28, Paul writes, For in Christ Jesus, you are all sons of God through faith. It's through faith. Through as many of you as were baptized into Christ, have put on Christ. For you are all one in Christ Jesus. Baptism then publicly initiates a believer's entrance into the visible church, our church family. It's our way of acknowledging that an individual has made a credible profession of faith and shown evidence of true belief. It is the means through which the church declares we believe this person. We believe they profess the true gospel, and so they are a true Christian. Do you see why we must, we must take this ordinance seriously? We have to be very careful who we give that assurance to. It needs to be clear that they are, as best we know, turning from their sin and trusting Christ alone. What's the danger of giving a false assurance? Potentially hardening someone in their unbelief and their deceit and their sin. Together, we are helping affirm the truth of salvation in an individual's life, so this is a sobering process responsibility we cannot take it lightly one author writes if this is what baptism is all about then it is no small thing for a church to baptize someone this is why many churches including ours connect baptism and church membership it is the biblical official public entrance into the building into the body that's the picture it's the front door of the building as we're identified in Him, we become publicly identified with His people. Our union with Christ also brings union with His body. A believer cannot be united with the head of the body without at the same time being united with His people. Now, what about the Lord's Supper? I want to address this as a side point of application. In our practice of the ordinances at Subarod, we seek to demonstrate the biblical priority we see in the New Testament baptism is the first step in following christ participation in the lord's supper is the ongoing participation of his family let me give you an analogy that might help we can make the analogy of the ordinances to that of a marriage baptism can be compared to the ring that is given once at the beginning at the initiation of the covenant of marriage The Lord's Supper then can be compared to the regular habitual celebration of marriage each year at the anniversary. Baptism is the singular initiating event. Think about how many singular events you have in your life. They're meant to be special and important and remembered. It comes first. The Lord's Supper is the ongoing celebration then of that covenant. One author notes, Baptism properly precedes participation in the Lord's Supper. The reaffirmation of our personal loyalty to Christ inherent in the Supper presupposed our initial declaration of loyalty made in baptism. Just, just think of it. Jesus includes baptism in his final words, in the mission he gives them, in the Great Commission. He doesn't include the Lord's Supper. That's part of all those teachings that come after. Therefore, throughout church history, gospel-believing churches throughout church history have invited only baptized believers to participate in the Lord's Supper. So both baptism and the Lord's Supper strengthen our faith together as a church family. Baptism is the singular once-in-a-lifetime initiating sign within this family. The Lord's Supper is the renewing, ongoing sign within this family. It's to be a church's act, helping a believer own and deepen their walk with Christ. Consider that in baptism, two parties speak and two parties make a commitment. In baptism, the one coming for baptism asks for welcome into this church family. And then the church extends it. And in baptism, the one coming for baptism pledges himself, or herself to a particular family. And that body of believers pledges itself to them. Baptism sets us within the strengthening and sustaining communion of God's people. Author Tim Challies makes this application. When a church takes baptism seriously, this baptism becomes a pillar or monument the Christian can look back on later in life. When times are difficult, when assurance is lacking, when faith is wavering, we can encourage that person to look. Look back to your baptism. Look back and remember what you professed on that day before your church family, before those who loved you, as you went under those waters. Look back and remember what you testified. Look back and see that people you loved and trusted had heard and examined your testimony and they were convinced that it was true. Look back and believe today what you believed then. This kind of encouragement is available to all who've been baptized. But it's strengthened among those who've been baptized in a church that carefully guards and promotes the ordinance. So our response in a service like this is to rejoice. Is to rejoice in our salvation as we celebrate this demonstration of God's grace in our lives. We can tend to lose sight of the significance of this practice if we're not continuing to grow in our understanding of this symbol from God. Meditating on baptism means that we're focusing on how Jesus taught us to express our faith. Each baptism we celebrate is to be an incredibly joyful event. It provides us as a church family with another opportunity to worship God who speaks our language Think of his kindness. He's given us something of his grace to see and feel and hear. Do you see how kind he is? One author put it this way. Baptism is not the act by which a convert comes before God and says, I want to give you, God, a sign that I've now decided to be identified with you. No, God calls the person whom he's given new life saying, here's my sign to you that I've decided to identify you with me. You are part of my people now. Here's my sign to you that I've already baptized you with the Holy Spirit, given you my own spirit in your heart. This new heart, this new sign of the new covenant. God gives this sign to his people for their benefit, to make it clear to us that we're his. Can you see his love in this picture? His kindness? It asserts that his love for us is not a dream or an illusion, but a tangible reality. It's intended by God to feed our faith, to comfort and assure us that God has redeemed us and loved us. We should recognize what God is doing before us, in us, this morning. As a believer, we see pictured here before us what we believe has happened within us. We see his death burial and resurrection portrayed for the forgiveness of sins as the person goes under the water he died for us we died to our sins with him he was buried and rose again for our justification and so we bring that person up out of that water that there's new life there's new strength to obey a new heart that wants to obey a new spirit within them the holy spirit who loves god and helps us love him This is a living picture of the greatest news offered to all mankind. So believers' baptism demonstrates that the forgiveness of sins and new life in Christ for Elena is real and has been received by faith. This is our testimony as we come to baptism. Together, we're rejoicing in the wonders of God's grace to us in this gospel picture. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we rejoice in your great kindness to us. We rejoice that you're a good and gracious God. We rejoice that you give us signs that we can see and feel and hear. So Lord, we pray that you would strengthen our faith as a church family. Lord, you would encourage and strengthen Elena, even as she comes to give her testimony. Help her to be rejoicing. Help this to be Not something she fears, but something she can celebrate. And recognize that her church family with her celebrates what you have accomplished in her life. Give us grace. Give us the proper joy. Help us to worship as you've designed us to this morning. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.